0: But one of the things that separates the very best investors from just average investors is not that they're basically right more often when they pick an investment. They're not necessarily right more often than the average guy. The difference has to do with the fact that when they're right, they tend to make a lot more money. And when they're wrong, they tend to lose a lot less because they cut their losses more quickly. And when they realize when they're wrong, they get out fast.
1: Welcome to the market call show where we discuss what's happening in the markets and the impact on your investments. Tune in every Thursday on Apple podcast, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Welcome to the market call show. This is Lewis Giannis. I am the founder of WealthNet Investments. Today we have an interesting topic and I'm really excited about diving in. So let's get going. Giannis here, WealthNet Investments. I want to talk a little bit about today, some questions that people have been asking me lately, and it's kind of been on my mind. I'm actually in sunny Palm Springs right now, California. It is absolutely gorgeous. I went on my daily three-mile walk, and it was just perfect blue sky and really, really nice. It's good to get away. In Colorado, we have a lot of snow this time of year, so it's great to just have a little bit of time to reflect and to be with family and yeah, enjoy the sun. But inevitably every time I go on this trip, we've been going every year for over 15 years now. We started going before my twins were born. And inevitably when we come, I always have some ideas that hit my mind while I'm walking. And we've been getting a lot of phone calls lately in a couple of different ways. The first one I wanna talk about has to do with, we're really not getting calls about this particular issue, but this issue came up when I was doing a presentation for A group it was like a mastermind group that I was invited to speak at and it was really interesting because I was getting feedback from the audience and one of the things that I was talking about is that one of the things that separates the very best investors from just average investors is not that they're basically right more often when they pick an investment they're not necessarily right more often than the average guy the difference has to do with the fact that when they're right, they tend to make a lot more money. And when they're wrong, they tend to lose a lot less because they cut their losses more quickly. And when they realize when they're wrong, they get out fast. And one of the people in the audience actually said, hey, wait a bit, wait a minute. Aren't you supposed to be a long-term investor? And then another person said, well, wait a minute. Don't you sometimes know that something's going to come back? And then and you just, you just hold on because you just know it's going to come back. And then another person in the audience said, yeah, I've done that before, but then I've lost it all or I've lost a lot of it. And then some other people say, well, yeah, I've actually had it come back. So the question is, is when should you hold a losing investment to wait for it to come back? So I started thinking about that more in depth and I've thought about it many times over the years. And it's always one of the things that we deal with as an investor. But there's really four things that determine when you should wait. And I want to go through them step by step. The first one is your exposure. What I mean by exposure is how much of that investment do you own as a percentage of your total net worth. So if you're wrong and the amount that you would lose would affect your financial plan in a significant way, then even if you just know in your gut that it's going to come back, you should cut your exposure you should cut your investment and you shouldn't wait for it to come back. You should sell some of that losing investment. It's hard for people to sell a losing investment. There's a bunch of different behavioral finance studies that have been done about this, but it is hard for the average person to sell their loser. And it's really easy for the average person to want to sell their gains quickly too soon. And that's one of the reasons why the average investor tends not to have that great of returns because what you actually have to do is the opposite. You have to sell your losers quickly and you have to add on to or hold your winners a long time and really keep adding to them and profiting from those winners. That's how you get that spread bigger, right? But getting back to the concept of when should I hold on to a losing investment to wait for it to come back. So the first thing is exposure. If you have too much exposure, You have too much invested and it's going to affect your financial plans if you're wrong. Even if you know in your gut that it's going to come back, your gut could be wrong. You should cut back. Okay. The second thing is knowledge. If you have, I mean, exceptional knowledge about the value of the investment based on cash flows, not based on a hunch, not based on something I'm talking, you have exceptional knowledge above average knowledge about what those cash flows are going to be and based on that the actual value of that investment is much much higher than its current price then you probably want to hold it that's one of the factors okay that's one of the factors that says you should hold it now the other thing is you have to keep in mind is what is your ability to predict the likelihood of those cash flows being there so if the likelihood is just kind of there 50 50 But if you have specialized knowledge, and you know with high probability that those cash flows are going to be there, and based on those cash flows, your return is, the value of that investment is higher than the current price, then that gives you a green light to hold that investment. But you have to consider two more things before you make that decision, okay? The next thing, this is the third item, right? The third item is time. You have to have a long time horizon in order for you to earn your money back because we don't know how long certain investments will take to come back. I was actually looking at a long-term chart of actually the home prices for residential homes. And if you look at the long-term price patterns of residential homes, which everybody feels like is riskless, they go down periodically 20% or even more and they stay down for 10 years. So people think, well, well, homes are real estate's safe. Well, okay, they could go down and they could stay down for 10 years and they can go down about 20% or even more. So keep that in mind. But if we're talking about a stock or a bond, whatever it is, you have to make sure that you have the time to sit on that investment. So in other words, you don't need that money in that time frame, And that goes back to, it won't derail your financial plan, right? And then your exposure. Okay, so now the last thing, the last thing that you need to consider to answer the question should I hold for it to come back is what are your alternatives? If you have better alternatives out there available in the marketplace with higher predictable cash flows or that are trading at better valuations and thus you have a better expected return you should sell that investment. So if you have a better alternative, those are the four things. Your exposure, how much do you have invested? Is it too much or not? Your exceptional knowledge, do you or do you not have it? And based on that, is that value much higher, not a little bit higher, but much higher than the current price in the marketplace? The third thing is your time. Do you have that time horizon that you can deal with? And the fourth thing is, are there better investment alternatives out there? So that wraps up answering the question based on what I know, my experience, and logic, really, how you should kind of deal with answering that question. Should I hold them or should I fold them? The second thing I want to talk about today is paying too much in taxes. So are you doing something wrong if you're paying a lot of taxes this year for last year? Well, that really comes down to a few different things. There are trade offs when it comes to taxes. Sometimes it's better to realize capital gains and pay the taxes. So like last year, we had a tremendous change and shift in the economy that led us to take and realize a bunch of gains that we accrued over the last couple of years. And for that reason, People are like, oh, my gosh, we're paying out so much more in taxes. And then, of course, the CPAs, they don't really know what to expect in the future. So what they do is they just say, okay, well, based on how much taxes or how much gains you had last year, then you're going to have to pay this much more for your estimated tax payments. And what's happening is, is a lot of times they'll overestimate what you need to withhold in the following year. So sometimes... Taxes can be lumpy, you're not paying them very much, you're not paying very much, and you're managing taxes because we have tax-managed strategies, but then there's times where you need to shift, and that shift is gonna cause you to realize gains, and in those years, you can have big tax liabilities. So, I'm sorry, sometimes when you make money, it's better to pay taxes. Now, what is your alternative to not do that? The alternative would be to say, okay, I wanna hold longer-term investments that I'm gonna hold for a long, long period of time, and I'm not gonna realize those gains. And I'm gonna pick investments that have really long time horizons with a long runway, like that snowball that keeps getting bigger and bigger as it rolls downhill. And that's how you're gonna avoid that. So that is a good idea. However, you need to understand that there are trade-offs to that. If you lengthen your time horizon to that long, you're gonna to have to accept much bigger ups and downs, particularly downs, because if you're not able to manage your risk or to shift, then, because you need to hold longer term, then you could be in a position where you could be down underwater for a long period of time. So, there's more volatility involved. So, that's a trade off. So, you have to have a longer time horizon when you do that, and you have to live more with the ups and downs, obviously, and you could be down for potentially a long time. But if you want the opposite, which is to have more flexibility to manage your risk and to adapt to new opportunities to profit, given the change in the investment landscape, then you might have to pay more taxes here and there. So it really just depends on what you're trying to achieve. Another strategy could be you could blend those two approaches where you're investing part of your portfolio in investments expected to perform well for very long periods of time and you hold them for multiple years. And then you invest another part of your portfolio in what I call tactical positions that can provide potentially higher rates of return over, say, the next six to 12 months. And that will give you kind of a blend of those two. So you're not accepting so much volatility in your portfolio. So there's times when you pay a lot of taxes. This last year, we realized a ton of gains and people are getting big tax bills and the CPAs are forecasting that out forever and saying, hey, you gotta pay these big quarterly estimated, which probably is not likely to happen because these capital gains come in lumpy. So that's something I wanted to talk about because I do think people are, I've even had one person say, what are we doing wrong? Why am I paying so much in taxes this year? It's like okay well we made a lot of money (laughs) and we actually realized them so that we could do change and that change actually helped us because we locked in gains and then we have had less risk as this market has come down so anyhow that's paying taxes is sometimes a good thing
1: if you worry about your investments need to make complex financial decisions or pay unnecessary taxes a lack of proper financial planning and investing may already be costing you a great deal When you are ready to turn your piece of wealth into peace of mind, go to wealthnetinvest.com and click on the schedule a call button to talk to us and get a free consultation today.
0: So now I wanna talk about the third thing that a lot of people are talking about and asking about. I wanted to kind of tell you some thoughts about inflation. So inflation changes the investment landscape. Everybody's talking about it, but I wanna bring it down to brass tacks here. The whole deal with inflation is that You lose purchasing power, obviously, and your rate of return in your investments need to be a lot higher to just keep up with that purchasing power loss, right? So if you're losing 7% in purchasing power due to inflation, you got to make 7% in returns on your investments just to break even. How do you do that? How can you offset this negative inflation impact? Well, the first thing is if you're investing in stocks of a company or real estate, it's important that you understand that the profits must be growing faster than inflation and you need to pay a reasonable price for that investment. So that's really how you surpass the inflation rate is by paying a reasonable price for the investment and then to have investments where the cash flow generation is growing faster than inflation. Well, what types of companies have that kind of a situation? Well, first They have to have either higher unit growth, so whatever widgets they're selling, they need to sell that at a faster rate than the inflation rate, or they need to be able to raise their prices. In other words, they have pricing power where people are still going to buy their goods or services, even if prices go up at the inflation rate or even greater, or they also need to be able to keep their costs down. Even if inflation is happening, because so there's a lot of companies that can raise their prices, but their costs are going up, just the same. So the profits really aren't going up. It's kind of a combination that need to be able to keep their costs down. They need to be able to raise prices. And they need to have unit growth that's faster than the inflation rate that all needs to add up to faster than inflation rate and you have to pay a reasonable price for it. So that really whittles down how many different investment opportunities that are out there in the marketplace. The other thing that could help you during inflation is if the. Whatever investment you're looking at has ownership in some form of hard asset that will go up with inflation, whether it be copper or gold or some hard asset, real estate potentially depends on the real estate. But those assets should be going up with inflation. Now, I was looking at the long term rate of return on residential real estate. You know, the long term compounded rate of return using the Federal Reserve data on real estate is like just over 4% and inflation is running at about three. So real estate prices on average, the data indicates don't really beat inflation by that much. One of the things you also find out about rental real estate is that on average, I was looking at some actuarial data, on average, people need to spend between two and 4% of the value of real estate in maintenance per year. So when you start adding that all up, you subtract out the maintenance costs, you do potentially can get some benefits from write-offs It's not as slam dunk as people think. I think the real benefit that people get from real estate is twofold. Number one is it's a forced savings plan. People, you're paying down debt a lot of times and it's forced. Number two is you don't see the fluctuations in value like you do in stock and bond portfolios. You get your statement from a stock and bond and you see it moving up and down in real time. Those prices are moving up in real time in real estate as well, but you just don't see them. So that helps people psychologically. And even though the rate of return may not be as great as they think it is, and I can address that with you a little bit, it still generally can help people save. So Warren Buffett has said that real estate is not really a great investment. And I agree with him that the more I analyze it, the more I realize that. In some cases, it can be amazing. Don't get me wrong. Real estate can be amazing, too. It just depends on how you do it. But other people have said that, too. Like, real estate's only a good investment if it's not the home that you're living in. If it's something that's paying you rent, then then that's when you really have some advantage. So that's when I'll talk a little bit about. On the real estate side, uh, we had a real estate investment get bought out. Blackstone bought out one of our real estate investments. So sometimes there could be a, a nice little windfall there. But when you're dealing with real estate, the issue is, is can the rents go up? Can the rents go up with inflation? So you have shorter term rental periods, say a year or something like that, or six months. So that as rents go higher, you make more money. That's important. And then the other is that it's in an area where there is good employment growth and there's good demand there so that you don't have big losses from loss of occupancy. People there stop renting. So if you have that combination of shorter term rentals, rising rents and then you're in a good demand area then that could be a great investment and over the long run that for savings the tax benefits and then the benefit from leverage using other people's money that's good because the value of those dollars go down over time as inflation goes up the cost of that is less to you right but the rents go up so there's ways to get around it so It doesn't mean just because we have high inflation that you have to go out and put all your portfolio in gold. No, you don't. But there are investments that it does change how you invest, though. You want to have investments that have those characteristics that I mentioned, the rising unit growth, et cetera, that can offset inflation. So now I want to talk a little bit about holding cash in an inflationary environment. So cash in the long run in an inflationary environment is a losing proposition because it's guaranteed to lose its purchasing power because it doesn't give you much rate of return, but it gives you one advantage and that is that you have dry powder that you can use to purchase investments at lower prices. If that does come up that you can get better returns. So having a little bit more in cash can still make sense in an inflationary environment. So that wraps up inflation and my thoughts on that. It's a little bit more tricky in making returns. Sometimes people make too much out of it with that inflation is going up. It's definitely an issue, but it does change your strategy. And that's one of the reasons why we've realized so many gains is because we, as inflation has risen, we've had to change our strategy. And I actually am not apologizing for that. I think that was the right thing to do. And sometimes paying taxes is a bummer, but that's the way it is. So we've covered a lot of ground here today. We've covered when should you wait for something to come back? And I've talked about the exposure, you know, how much knowledge, you know, time and alternatives. We talked about taxes, when you wanna pay taxes. And then we've talked a little bit about inflation hopefully there's something in there that can help you in the way that you invest. If you have any questions, you guys can always get a hold of us. You can talk to me or one of my associates. Just go to wealthnetinvest.com. Go to the little button that says schedule a call and talk to us so we can give you a free consultation. Right now, we want to be available for people because there's so much uncertainty. Anyway, I'm going to go back to the sunshine, and I hope you guys are having a great day, and I'll talk to you later. Bye.
1: For the latest episode of the Market Call Show, make sure to like, subscribe, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Go to marketcallshow.com for all our past episodes and sign up to get alerts for new episodes. If you enjoyed the content of this episode, please leave us a five-star review and comments. WealthNet Investments is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where WealthNet Investments and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure.